The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, a very warm welcome to this Friday edition of Scorebox with uh, Arabella Gamede and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. The Fed Chair Jerome Powell striking a cautious tone at the Economic Club of New York, dismissing suggestions that current policy is too tight, whilst also stressing recent signs of cooling inflation are still only the beginning. Inflation is still too high. And a few months of good data are only the beginning of what it will take to build confidence that inflation is moving down sustainably toward our goal. The 10-year Treasury yield uh, pairs some gains after cracking the key 5% mark, still hovering around its highest level in 16 years. This as the yield pressure finally, uh, later on the session, pushed Wall Street into the red. Now, U.S. President Joe Biden calling on Congress, and that is to pass a fresh security package for Ukraine and Israel worth a reported $100 billion, saying American leadership holds the world together. American values are what make us a partner that other nations want to work with. To put all that at risk, to walk away from Ukraine, to turn our backs on Israel, it's just not worth it. L'Oreal shrugging off sluggish Chinese demand to post an 11% rise in third quarter sales with Europe and North America, providing a flourish for the French beauty giant. Morning, buddy. How are you? Good, thank you. No complaints. Happy very, Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. Or oh, cautious Friday, cautious I would say, in many Friday. ways. Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's very interesting. I've already had um, at least two arguments in my head today as well. One with a guest we haven't even had yet today. One with one of our wonderful producers uh, about Powell already. And the guest doesn't even know I'm disagreeing with him. <laughs> uh, and I'm just looking at some of the commentary surrounding what Jay Powell said. And I am way more concerned than almost everyone else in the market. I, I, I think people are looking at, oh great, the economy's in a Goldilocks scenario, we've had the higher rates and job creation is still pretty yep. strong, inflation's yep. abating somewhat uh, and it's all working nicely. I, I'm really concerned that actually it's not working nicely yet as well. But we'll come to this uh, throughout the next three hours and throughout the show as well because uh, the Fed Chair, Jerome Powell, uh, struck, it was a cautious, it was a pragmatic tone uh, tone in a closely watched speech at the Economic Club of New York. Now, Mr. Powell said the FOMC would proceed carefully, acknowledging recent signs of cooling inflation, but stressing that a few months of good data are only the start of what will be needed to bring inflation down to target. Powell also noted that rising bond yields are tightening financial conditions. This is the so-called mythical bit where, where the, the, the financial condition tightening does the job for the Fed for them. We, 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 we talked about this a lot in various aspects over uh, the course of this tightening cycle as well. But he's saying that rising bond yields are tightening financial conditions. I, th I think we know that, yeah. And that geopolitical risks are highly elevated. Again, Hard to disagree with the latter. Now, commenting on the range of risks, Powell stressed vigilance in pursuing the central bank's goals. We are attentive to recent data showing the resilience of economic growth and demand for labor. Additional evidence of persistently above trend growth or that tightness in the labor market is no longer easing could put further progress on inflation at risk 
and could warrant further tightening of policy. A range of uncertainties, both old ones and new ones, complicate our task of balancing the risk of tightening monetary policy too much against the risk of tightening too little. Doing too little could allow above-target inflation to become entrenched and ultimately require monetary policy to wring more persistent inflation from the economy at a high cost to employment. Doing too much could also do unnecessary harm to the economy. Okay, Jay Powell had this to say on where the neutral rate may well be. We, do, we all write down our estimates of the longer-run neutral rate every quarter in the summary of economic projections, and, and that's based on models. It's based on also looking out the window and, and including lags, thinking how are our current rates affecting the economy. So the, the evidence of your eyes is that the economy is, is handling much higher rates, at least for now, without difficulty. So notionally, that, that might tell you that, that the neutral rate has risen, or it may just tell you that we haven't had rates high enough for long enough. Well, so that neutral rates discussion is actually quite interesting to note then. JP Morgan just putting out a note that its client says that 6% may actually be needed when it comes to the Fed fund rate uh, in order to cool the jobs market and to ease consumer spending. And the pain trade here would actually be a hike in the November meeting. It doesn't seem to be factored into uh, any of their clients trading right now, according to JP Morgan. So where do we look when it comes to that scenario right now? Could there actually be a pain trade? Things still very, very hot. Does it mark down the chances then of that uh, soft landing? Does it mean a hard landing is perhaps the only thing you could possibly see right now? This was the interesting chart then to look out for yesterday. Around 10 p.m. local time then we saw this chart hit 5% for the first time uh, in around 16 years. Did fall off from that, and as you can tell, it's now sitting at 4.9414%, but it did hit that 5% figure, perhaps a few more fears, a few more worries as to whether it would continue to go in that direction. This is pretty much what you're seeing when it comes to that yield curve as well. The two years still above that 5%, 5 5.1482%. Uh, with the long end of that spectrum also continuing to head a little bit higher. But do you get more duration? Do you buy into the more duration in order to stay in your portfolio and still get attractiveness? Uh, we'll unpack all of those questions, of course, over the next three hours. Very quickly here, the U.S. market, then, when yields go higher, well, you continue to see a bit of a fall-off then. Uh, and the equities front thus far, that seems to be the picture at present. And you can see those losses across the board being seen even uh, across yesterday's trading picture. Um, Jay Powell's speech, really, the significant elements then, perhaps saying rates not sufficiently restrictive at this time, CPI too high, lower economic growth certainly uh, needed. Fifth day out of six for the Nasdaq having dropped off then. The Dow is set for a fourth negative week then in five. Very quickly here, your dollar crosses then as well as we get into uh, this currency picture. The dollar index after Jay Powell's speech actually yesterday maintained a sense of uh, data dependence as, as he would perhaps eased a little bit off uh, then in yesterday's number. It was sitting, that's the dollar index, at 106.25 after that overnight high of 106.67, though, as you can currently see then, uh, there is perhaps a little bit of strength still in it. Of course, very interesting, still looking out for that 150 on the yen.
in the oil market. Where are we looking when it comes to Brent crude oil? Well, it's extended some of its gains and is on track for what is the second week of increases on this one. WTI is still above that $90 a barrel uh, number. Look at this then. Nearly 1% higher is Brent crude oil at this point in time. Of course, Asian shares having plumbed, uh, plunged in this morning. Fears that the spreading of that Israel-Hamas war could even go towards the Middle East then. So extending further what we're currently seeing, supported, of course, by forecasts as well of widening deficit in the fourth quarter, Russia and Saudi Arabia having extended their oil cuts as well up until the end of the year. And here's your Asian market picture very quickly then as well. Still negativity across the board. It was the Hang Seng that had dipped lower yesterday, and so too it has done again today. The, one of the biggest losers out on that front with even the Australian index uh, a little bit weaker then. Of course, we will be looking out as the uh, it's an 11-month trough that we've seen across the board here. Fears still over tensions in the Middle East. This is pretty much what we're looking like week to date down across the board then. But the Shenzhen composite, 4.5% uh, down on the week, Steve. Nice work, Arabile. Thank you. Uh, Al Kadamo has joined us, uh, Portfolio Manager at Mirabeau Asset Management. Al, really nice to see you. Look, um... I, I, I'm, I'm way more cautious than most people. I guess that's part of the job description. But um, I, I, I'm looking at your notes and, and your first few words. I, I totally, well, I couldn't get beyond it out. It was, you said here, uncertainty is an all-time high. Uh, and I think that, but the market clearly doesn't believe that. Because I, I, I see a little bit of a wobble here and there. I see a tiny little rise in, in the VIX as well. But a VIX at 21 is not... Uh, agreeing with your uncertainty at an all-time high. Uh, and S&P, which is up 11.4% for the year, clearly doesn't think the uncertainty is at a, 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 an all-time high. The Nasdaq, which is up 26%. Now, I know we're talking about for some very specific stocks as well, but, but everyone's going to get sold down if there is an aggressive event in the market as well. Do you think there's way too much complacency in equity holdings at the moment? I think there's an assumption that... Um, you know, the normal path of, of, of economic progress will be made and that the cumulative and lagged effect will eventually come through uh, and we'll see that slowdown, but that it is still tracking within that soft landing kind of channel of data. So if we see that, you know, you look at S&P earnings for um, 24, you're still projecting over 10% growth for, for 2024 earnings, which to me seems very optimistic. If you're also trying to price in a fall in inflation um, and a moderation in growth. So I think that expectation of... Um, you know, of earnings next year is, is the real danger point on equities. But Q3 should be perfectly um, perfectly reasonable. You know, if you've had a, um, a GDP print, which will surprise around, you know, four and a half, five percent, something like that, uh, then that's got to be fairly supportive for company earnings in the short term. I don't think there's anything normalised about this. I mean, just look, one, one thing we've barely mentioned already on programming today on CNBC is the fact that the claims figure was at the lowest level since January. At the same time where we hit over 8% are on the 30-year mortgage in the last 24 hours. I mean, just, just our viewers, just take a step back, everybody. Jobs figures are the best they've been this year on one measure. And at the same time, consumers are being squeezed with the highest financing on the most popular mortgage product that we've seen in at least one generation as well. Al, I don't think there's anything normal about this. And my worry is there is a veneer of control from the Federal Reserve, which the market is clinging on to. I'm not entirely sure they're in control of the narrative here. Well, you can see um, from the pricing of, of inflation, so you look at your, your break-even or your five-year, five-year, 
it looks like the the market is still giving the Fed um, a fair a fairly high degree of credibility. So that stayed, you know, uh, break even five year break evens around 2.2, 2.3, bit of volatility, but it has stayed relatively calm. And what's happened is that your your nominal rate has gone up. So the Fed has credibility that they will get to that two percent or low two percent area. But the market is accepting that it's going to take higher for longer, and that's why your nominal rate's gone up, and that's why your real rate's gone up. So I think yes, the market is still assigning that credibility. It's when you see that um, those inflation expectations become unanchored, and suddenly you see you know two point eight three percent expectations in the market, uh, which would be more consistent with what we just saw on that um, the University of Michigan that came out on Friday, which ticked up a bit that consumer expectations of inflation are quite high. Um, um, but in terms of in, yeah, sorry about that. I'll just to just to perhaps get in there, Aribile here. Good morning to you. Um, if if I mean it's not priced in at present, it seems right. I mean, uh, if you take a look at even the uh, the CME number, it, it just doesn't look like a hike is priced in at all this year. But if the Fed was to hike, because Jay Powell did say it's not yet restrictive at this level. If he was to hike. 25 basis points is surely not going to cut it. He's going to have to do a little bit more than that, considering how hot this economy is, right? I mean, he's wanting data to drop off quite considerably in order to get uh, to a stable sort of economy. But we're not anywhere near that, are we? Yeah, so I think what he said was policy is restrictive, but it's not too restrictive. So that's the, they think they can get away with it without getting too much damage to the the economy. Um, You know, the Fed speakers have come out in the last two weeks and really talk down that November hike. But what's happened is it, it's just pushed it back. So now it's December or January rather than November or December. And the reason for that, and you mentioned financial conditions in the in the intro, um, with the move in the, in the long-term rates, financial conditions now are as tight as they were one year ago. So we've had that big step up the end of September, start of October. And what we saw this time last year was that really affected the November inflation data. So that's why they're gonna skip November because you have to wait for for that November data, which they'll get just before the December meeting. So if there's no slowing, if November, uh, sorry, if yeah, if November inflation is still pretty solid, still around that three percent, three point two, somewhere like that, then I think your your chance of a, of a December or January hike needs to be much higher. Um, I would have put it at fifty fifty. I think the market's probably pricing a forty percent chance of one more hike, um, but you know the market's completely ignoring the dot plot, and when you've only got two meetings left. And uh, the majority of the of the FOMC think there's another another hike coming. I think the market is, you know, as you say, perhaps being a little bit complacent on on one more hike. It does feel that way. It really does. And I mean, does the current you know sell off then in this bond market do enough of the job then for the Fed to postpone these hikes to uh, early next year? Then is, is is that pretty much what we're saying here that they're kind of a substitute uh, for the Fed's job? I mean. The Fed had initially then said that you're going to need lower economic growth. Would we say that actually a recession might even be needed to get things lower? On the inflation side, well, it's difficult because what you've got is, is kind of circular. So consumer spending is good. So businesses' results have, have troughed and uh, Q3 earnings should be pretty good across the board. So why would you get rid of your employees? And in the sectors that are suffering from that rolling recession, if you think actually things are going to pick up in three to six months, it took you so long and so much money to get that employee, you perhaps keep them longer than you uh, than you had. So that can again um, keeps your consumer spending high. You know, if you're not, if companies are not losing money, why are they getting rid of employees? And if employees are not losing their jobs and are getting wage growth 
around the same level as, as core CPI, then why are you going to reduce your spending? Uh, we know the consumer is unhappy. Consumer confidence is down. Um, so the, you know, the consumer is taking that inflation but not happy about it. Um, but on the mortgage rate, if you don't need to move house, your mortgage cost hasn't changed in the States. Um, you know, if you're buying a new house, actually, the, the, the mortgage companies are doing a buy-in. So no one's paying that 30-year rate that we can see on our screens because all the mortgage providers are paying, you know, the first 1% or the first 2% just to try and get any activity going. So there's enough support there that the consumer can keep going. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not buying in this. No one's struggling on the 30% rate. Uh, um, sorry, big pun, 30-year rate at the moment. Just let me give you some stats as well. And this isn't even after the most recent figure. The percentage of Americans paying $2,000 a month for a home mortgage has skyrocketed in two years. In 2021, according to Black Knight data, it was 18%. It's now gone up to 51%. So that's a, a 150% increase there as well. Almost one in four home buyers in July had payments above 3,000. The figure is going up on a monthly basis um, by over a thousand bucks a month for a vast number of American households, plus your auto loans, plus your credit card and your revolving credit loans, plus your student repayment loans as well. Al, I'm not getting the, the, the line which I keep hearing that no one's paying the 8%, admittedly 8% is the most recent figure, but I mean we've been higher for a long time now. Americans are beginning to feel the pinch on those rates, aren't they? But you only get the 8% if you if you move your mortgage, right? If you if you take out a new a new product, those who've got a, a 30 year fix, which I believe is the, the vast majority of the of the existing homeowners, what it does do is it freezes the housing market. So people aren't moving and housing gives you about 15% of GDP. So that you know, kind of takes away the tail risk of, of reacceleration and, and aggressive uh, additional hikes. Um, but yes, all of these things feed into financial conditions. All of these feed into the cumulative and lagged narrative that we should see the slowing. It's just taking time. And if you say the, the neutral rate Let's say the neutral rate is three percent, not two and a half. We only got to that twelve months ago, and we're hitting that that peak twelve to eighteen month uh, period of the additional hikes and the additional tightening. Um, it's just the market wants to move very quickly, and monetary policy moves very slowly. So I agree, you're gonna, you should see slowing. Our our, our basis for for a slowing, but there are there are reasons why we've not seen it yet. It's a great chat and our, a very stimulative conversation at the start of the show. So thank you very much indeed for kicking us off and, and for the notes as well. Have a, pr a brilliant weekend, sir. Uh, Al Cadamol, who is Portfolio Manager at Mirabeau Asset Management. We'll stick on the theme uh, of rates because that's where it's at. Basically, obviously, that in geopolitics at the moment. On a programming note, don't miss Steve Leesman's exclusive interview with the Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic. That's coming up in programming later today. Uh, we'll pencil that one in for 1330 CT. How about that? Right, and uh, for plenty more on the central bank's policy path and Powell's latest commentary, head over to cnbc.com. Arabile. Well, coming up on the show, is L'Oreal worth it? Charlotte joins us to break down the cosmetic group's third quarter results later in the show. Plus, more chaos in Congress. Jim Jordan prepares for his third attempt to claim the U.S. House gavel with a planned compromise to empower the acting speaker now in tatters. And the earnings just keep coming. We'll be joined by Yara International CEO's Vientore Holsetter to break down the company's latest results. Don't miss that first on CNBC interview. That's at 8.30 CET.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy, completely annihilate it. Hamas' stated purpose for existing is the destruction of the state of Israel and the murder of Jewish people. That's why tomorrow I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine is a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. Uh, Joe Biden, they're giving a a rare address out of the Oval Office. Uh, Biden said he would uh, send an urgent funding request to Congress today, which will reportedly be more than $100 billion, including $60 billion for Ukraine and $14 billion for Israel, according to Reuters. Uh, Dan joins us around the desk with more. Dan, I thought it's fascinating that actually, um, given... Congress's efforts, or certainly Republicans within Congress's efforts to thwart previous funding rounds uh, in, in agreed um, budget talks uh, for Ukraine, that now the president's gone straight to the people and told them that actually he wants money for not only Israel, but also for Ukraine as well. So just trying to um, get another way around the problem he had earlier on during earlier budget talks about financing for Ukraine in the medium term. Indeed, and keeping public support alive for both of these wars that are now unfolding on his watch. So the president essentially wants to sink, uh, link that funding for Russia's war in Ukraine with Israel's war against Hamas in Gaza. And he says that the world is at an inflection point in history and those dual wars now unfolding on his watch pose what he said were parallel threats to democracy. So he is now expected to ask Congress for billions of dollars in new funding for those American allies. At the same time, NBC News has also spoken with Jordan's foreign minister about the unfolding conflict in Gaza. Uh, Ayman Safadi telling NBC's Lester Holt that Israel and Hamas must, quote, stop this madness and start holding peace talks. Listen in. We've got to be careful. This is serious. And if, if, if this war expands and we face a regional war, then you're talking about uh, a miserable situation for all of us. The implications will, will resonate far beyond, beyond the immediate uh, uh, battleground now. It, it will, it will uh, get everywhere in the region and, and will have severe consequences for the whole world. Jordan's foreign minister speaking to NBC News and clearly the situation on the ground in Gaza still very volatile at this point. Overnight we've also learned that the Pentagon says the US Navy shot down three missiles launched out of Yemen's Houthi forces potentially targeting Israel. Uh, This of course comes as the US and Israel face what is said to be heightened activity out of Iranian-backed regional groups amid this conflict in Gaza and this is exactly what the Jordanian foreign minister was talking about. There is widespread concern among Arab leaders that this conflict could spill over into the region, potentially engulfing Iran, potentially engulfing those Iranian proxies, including Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, and of course the ongoing conflict that we see with uh, the other uh, Iranian proxy, which is of course Hamas. 
As all of this unfolds, we've also seen the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak on the ground. He's been meeting with Saudi officials, including Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, attempting to move the conversation forward on de-escalation. Where this goes from here, though, is anyone's guess at this point. And we also know uh, that the UK Foreign Secretary is also on the ground. He's going to be uh, in Egypt today. He's also going to be holding talks in Turkey and in Qatar, attempting to have those same conversations. Uh, Dan, um, let's take it back to another level as well. A lot of our viewers want to know what's going on with the energy prices. In fact, every consumer on the planet wants to know what's going on with energy prices as well. 93 bucks was the last print I saw on Brent. Let's have a look. 93.33 up a percent. Look, this is stunningly volatile commodity at the moment, moving in a very logical direction. I would suggest it's a very measured move given the amount of risk going on at the moment. What, I mean, this is your wheelhouse. What are people saying to you? I would agree with you. I've actually just checked. Uh, Brent is up for a second straight week in a row, as is WTI. Both contracts advancing by more than 2% here. So measured is exactly the right word. What we've seen is perhaps this market discounting some of the conflict because okay. it doesn't necessarily impact supply. But of course, the situation is still very volatile. There are a number of things that could happen at this point and clearly markets staying pretty jittery as a result. But that 2% gain that we've seen over the course of this week, Brent's second week of gains as have uh, WTI is certainly interesting to watch. Yeah, going to be about that escalation problem, as you made note of a little bit earlier as well. And Can we'll I just... Look at that, yeah. Oh, actually, no, we're, we're doing the tease afterwards. So I was going to tease anyway, but I've just looked down the rundown. We have got a tease, so you, you carry on. As you were. Let's Sorry. go Apologies. ahead, then. Apologies, also, of course, in the region, Dan, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Of course, we'll chat to you a little bit later. Now, also in the region, British Prime Minister, uh, as Dan was saying, uh, will travel to Egypt today. That's Rishi Sunak, all right? And you can stay up with all the latest from the Israel-Hamas conflict our live blog that's on cnbc.com thank you for listening to squawk box europe express for more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me steve sedgwick and karen cho weekdays on cnbc